Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. It's great to see all of you here, and uh, really thankful to have you. Um, I want you to know, I'm going to tell you about Catherine and I's first date, if you're allowed to call it that, because uh, her mom was with us and her little sister was with us. But we went to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and uh, we went to see Josh Turner in concert, if you're familiar with who that is. But one thing about the Houston Rodeo, for those of you who don't know, because we lived in Lake Jackson, everybody goes to the rodeo. I mean, if you live in Houston, it's not, I don't know how it is in, with Fort Worth, but it's kind of a, you look at the schedule and you pick, some people buy season tickets and go every night. But some people, it's, it's oh, you know what? Oh, those are some of my favorites. We're going to go to those concerts. It's, I don't know. It was just kind of a thing. But one of my favorite things about the, the Houston Rodeo is that if your school was in a certain distance of Houston, you got to compete in the, the art show. Like the, the students, ki- kindergarten through 12th grade, could submit artwork. And it was always one of the most amazing things to walk down and see the artwork of these students uh, from kindergarten through 12th grade. So this was the, this right here was the 2021 high school winner of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Uh, a, a senior in high school painted that. Isn't that incredible? Like, it's just unbelievable that anyone could do that, let alone a, uh, a senior. And also, if I'm right, I don't know if um, I have my sister-in-law and brother-in-law here with me. We all four went to the same high school. But Tell me if I'm right about this. Uh, whenever they won, you got the prize money, right? Like, if you were the senior, even if you were a junior, and some, some of our friends, I remember who were in AP art and competed in this, would literally get like, I don't know, $5,000 from painting something like this. It's incredible. The, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo Endowment is enormous. And uh, the reason I'm bringing this up and the analogy I wanna make is, how many of you have your moments where you see something that someone's done and you just are in awe at their ability to be creative like that. It just kind of, honestly, it kind of frustrates you sometimes. <laughs> You're just like, how did you do that? I think, I think of all the ways that that applies. How many of you have friends that are musically inclined that you hear like the, the, they wrote a song or you see them sit down and you're like, man, what did you just play? And they're like, oh, well, I was just kind of playing on the piano. I was just kind of strumming my guitar and you're just blown away that they're capable of doing that. I, I have those moments. Or there's other times where you see someone be able to do something artistically like this and it kind of, it just kind of, you can't wrap your mind around the ability to see something in your mind like that. For a sculptor to look at a piece of clay and be able to go, oh, I know what that's going to be. That's going to be this. And they see it in their mind. It's just unbelievable. And another example, I think we could all admit, this is, uh, I think there's times where this, this is the pyramids in Egypt. And what do most people say? What is the joke about the pyramids? Who built the pyramids? Yeah. Aliens came and built the pyramids. Why do, why do people make that joke? The reason people make that joke is because they can't comprehend people with rocks and sticks being able to architecturally build something that incredible back thousands of years ago. And I think that the reason that 
is so powerful to me. And, and I could have showed more pictures. I tried to find some of the architecture that you see in buildings today. You just are so impressed by what people can invent, what they can create. And I want you to know, I'm a firm believer, that whenever we read in Genesis, it says that you are created in the image of God. I firmly believe that part of that image that we bear is that our God is a God who creates, a creator who makes things. And he has blessed us that part of our being his image bearers is that we are creators. We are people who have been given by God the ability to design, to create, to, you know, for some of you, how many of you in here would say you are one of the least organized people you know? Some of you, when you see someone who's incredibly organized, you see what they're doing the same way I see an artist and a painter. You're like, I just don't know how you get your files to be that straight. I can't comprehend this. But all of us have different abilities where our skills allow us to create something. And I believe that is a God-given thing. And so I also think that in our human history, we see all the ways that this creative gift that God's given us has blessed the world. We have been able to create things like medicine. We've been able to create things like airplanes. We've been able to create things like cameras to, to take memories, right? That is a gift of us using our creative ability. But we also know that we can take the exact same gift from God and if we're not careful, create some really terrible things. You following along? The same camera that amazes us is where we get things like pornography. The same medicines and gifts we have of creating these incredible things also lead to drugs. And the message that I'm trying to make is, is that when we're not careful, the same gift that God gave us to be his image bearers, to be his royal heirs to this world, to, to share in creating and making this world that God wants us to have, if we're not careful, when we rebel and we make things about ourselves, when we make ourselves gods, when we do all this kind of stuff, it can lead to those exact same gifts bringing, instead of love and peace and good, it can lead to it bringing brokenness, it can lead to it becoming things that are not good for our world. And so, you're probably wondering, what on earth does this have to do with the book of Daniel? Well, I am excited about today's sermon for numerous reasons. Last week's sermon, we preached about Daniel and his friends in the fiery furnace. That sermon will preach itself, okay? I could have gotten up here, read the story, got off stage, and you would have heard a good message. This week, Daniel 4, is a very weird text, and Daniel 5 is a weird text. And I know many preachers my age probably would have said, you know what, let's just go ahead and skip to Daniel in the lion's den. That's another good one but not me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this text that is pretty odd. I'm going to take this text that's pretty confusing. And what I'm going to do is try and show you that at its deepest core, whenever we understand some things that are going on in the context with the Old Testament, that you can see even this odd story, it's a very weird story, is able to tell us and show us about God and what he intended for us and his people and who, how God is really in control. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. And so you're going to just get to follow along on the screen, and I'll, I'll fill you in as we read through the book what, what verse I'm on. Okay, so starting off, the very first part of Daniel 4, if you see verses 1 through 3, it's actually kind of the, it's what should have gone at the end of the chapter. It's after Nebuchadnezzar has had this experience, it's him praising God. So it's kind of an introduction to this story, but really verses 1 through 3 kind of are what happens at the end of this story. But starting in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar is going to kind of tell this first-person account. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. This guy keeps having dreams. 
As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Sounding familiar? This is like just, this happened a couple chapters ago. Very similar story. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel got there, and he came into my presence, and, he t and I told him the dream. So, we have this exact same setup as the last dream. Same as exact situation. And I'm not going to read the dream because you're kind of going to pick up the pieces as we read later. But basically, the gist of the dream is that King Nebuchadnezzar sees this enormous tree. And the top of the tree is so big that it touches the heavens. Okay? So this is not some big, big tree. This is an enormous, massive tree. Size of a mountain. And the top of it touches the heavens. And under this tree, it describes all this, this healthy life and ecosystem. There's fruit, there's animals living under it. And I think you're supposed to kind of get a picture of things are good. Things are going pretty well under this tree. While Nebuchadnezzar was looking at the tree, a messenger, an angel. The word angel is the Greek word for messenger. Uh, anyway, um, so an angel comes, a messenger comes and says, and he orders him to cut down the tree but that the stump of the tree would stay in the ground for a certain period of time. And this is what Daniel interprets the dream to say in verse 24. If you want to skip ahead in your Bible to 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High God has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. So the king is this great big tree, and he will be cut down. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The, com the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, a messenger, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by. And like I've kind of said this before, in the Bible, when you see the seven, it's symbolic for a long period of time. It's not literally, wait, what is it? Seven days, seven months, seven weeks, seven, doesn't matter. A long period of time will take place. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was a driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Every morning he's outside waking up just wet from just like the dew on the ground. Sounds nice if you have forgotten what dew looks like, but... His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. His hair got real long. His fingernails got real long. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Am I at the right place? Okay, good. I raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. 
Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Like, I think what you're supposed to, you, no one can say to him like, what have you done? You know, look at what I did. But I mean, what have you even done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the third story in a row, maybe fourth. One, two. This is the fourth story in a row where something that Daniel has done, something that the, these Jewish people have done by staying true to the message of what God has sent them to do, where a foreign king who does not recognize God has come to the conclusion of bearing witness to God. And of all of them, the other ones, the other ones it like kind of starts off with, hey, nobody talk trash about their God, but he's still just one of the other gods. But it's grown now to even this, this great links of how, just how much this God is the God who is important. And so let me connect this back to what I was saying earlier about our creative ability, about how God designed us. What we see in this story is whenever humans make themselves into gods, they take the power of God living within us that we've been given by God. When we take that power and make ourselves gods, we become less than human. We become like beasts, okay? Now, in the story, he becomes very beastly. But in our world, we can become just as beastly. Let's look how this applies throughout Scripture. The most obvious one is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The tempter says, hey, eat of this fruit, and you will become like God. Whenever they take of the fruit, they become less human, less of what God meant for them to be, because they have done something where they were trying to take for themselves and make themselves like God, rather than letting God be God and us be his people, okay? And later in Genesis, we get a story of the Tower of Babel, where people are saying, let us build this huge tower. Let us build this huge tower so that we may be like gods, may be able to be like gods. And what does God do? Nope, you weren't designed to be like gods. And he scattered them. And we see throughout scripture, and we see throughout our lives, that when humans, we make ourselves like gods, we become less than human. We become, as people in Britain would say, we become beastly, okay? And I, I remember it's kind of fun looking up. I looked up, because the question I had, if I were sitting in the audience and I were you, I would think, Drew, what exactly do you mean like we become like beasts? My fingernails are plenty cut, you know? My hair is kept remotely. What does this mean? And so I tried, here's what I thought of. What does it mean to look like beasts? First of all, when I looked up the word beastly, these were the synonyms. Cruel, mean, nasty, harsh, hateful, and vile. Those sound a lot like the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. When we live as God made us to be, and God's Spirit is flowing through who we are, it brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we live like gods, we live wanting to be gods ourselves, we become vile, cruel, mean, nasty. Anybody been on social media any in the past year or two? There's some of that on there, okay? 
And what that means is that doesn't mean you're an exceptionally bad person. It means that you are not living as God designed for you to be, the person he meant for you to be. And so this is the next thing I would be asking if I were sitting in there in the audience. Drew, you keep saying that King Nebuchadnezzar's problem was that he wanted to be like God. His pride was like, look at me. Look at this empire I built. I'm the best. I don't do that. I don't look at an empire. I'm not a king. How do I make myself like a god? This is an excellent question. I wish I had thought of more analogies. And so maybe come to Wednesday night class. Dan Armstrong is going to be leading class for us while I'm in Colorado. And talk about this. What does it look like for us to make ourselves like gods? I've already listed some examples we see in the Bible. But I think some examples are pride. When we think that our plans, our ideas, and our desires are better and more important than God's plans, his ideas, his desires, we become like God's. What I think is right is better than what you think is right. As Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. That was the right way. That is making yourself like a God. Another example is when we think that we are more important than other people. Oh, those people that look like that, that have a different skin color, that are poor, that live over there, they're not as important as me. That is making yourself like a God, more important than other people. Whenever we determine what is right and true in our own eyes as opposed to what God has laid out for us as right and true, that is becoming like a God. Well, God, I know you say that this is right, caring for people, forgiving. I just am not going to forgive them. You have made yourself like God, deciding what is right, and you are living beastly, less than human, by doing that. So then the the reverse of this is true, and this is where we're going to land today. If it's true that when humans take and make themselves into gods, they become less human, they become like beasts, then the opposite is also true. When we praise and exalt God as God, we are restored to who we are as humans, God's image bearers. We are loving, joyful, patient, kind, forgiving. We are back to the way God designed for us to be. And this is what happens in the story. Nebuchadnezzar stands on top of his tower, says, look at me and he's made beastly. And then, in a moment of sanity, he says that he praised the Most High. He glorified and honored him. His dominion is the eternal one, not mine. His kingdom is going to endure from generation to generation, not mine. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as, I'm a nobody, but God, he is the God of heaven. He is the God of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and keep him from doing what he's going to do. When Nebuchadnezzar gets to that place, what happens in the story? At the same time, His honor and splendor are returned to him. The glory of his kingdom. His advisors want to have insight from him. This is the same for us. When we spend our lives trying to make our way the way, our truth the truth, what we want, what we get, our priorities, our selfishness, our pride, we will live a lesser version of what God made for us. If we spend our life going, he is God, he is Lord, I want to follow him, I want his will, I want his way, I want to do what I can for him, You know what we're going to find ourselves? We're going to find ourselves restored. We're going to find ourselves being someone that people are seeking our counsel. People are wanting to be around us because we're bearing this good fruit, not this beastly fruit. And all of this finds its culmination in Jesus Christ. When we talk about how Jesus never sinned, I'd almost rather us think Jesus never became less than human. Let's say it like that. Because we always think of it like, well, Jesus, he never sinned. He never broke one of the rules. Let's think of it instead like, you know what, Jesus, he never became less than what God meant for us to be. And in so doing, he was constantly pointing to God. He was constantly saying, 
I'm here for God's will. I don't do anything outside of God's will. I'm constantly praising God. I'm constantly living a life that instead of oozing decay on everybody else like a beast, instead of having the, my actions be something that are deteriorating the lives of other people, my actions as a human image bearer, God's image bearer, are enhancing the lives of everyone around me. We see this incredibly clearly in Jesus. And I want you to know that this invitation is available to all of us. Every single one of us has the opportunity to be someone who looks at ourselves and say, I'm not important. God is important. And guess what happens when we do that? God, in a miraculous way, says, you're important enough that my sons died for all of you. You're important enough that I'm going to use you in my kingdom to do incredible things. It's such an amazing turnaround. But when we find ourselves thinking, I'm the most important, we're going to find ourselves in a place where we're living in a way that God never meant for us to be. If any of you would like to know more about a Savior who came to say, I want you to live this life, I want to give you the blessings that come from a life spent in the fear of the Lord. I'd encourage you to come talk to one of us. Elders are going to be standing at the doors. You can come talk to me or this, this week. I'll be in, well, I'll be in Colorado this week. Next week, I'll talk to you. And uh, if any of you have any prayer requests, I'd encourage you to come while we stand and while we sing this song.